0: All right, greetings once again from Fremont E-Free. It's once again Monday. It does seem to come around every week. So here we are back in the recording studios, better known as the I forget what Sunday fourth school is. Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Thank you, Jim. I forget every time when I start to announce that, but we were in the fourth grade Sunday school room. This morning, we are looking at Acts chapter 12, 1 to 19. But before we get there, I do have one quick announcement for our loyal podcast listeners.
1: Oh, you're putting it right up front.
0: Yep. I think that way, if people get bored and stop listening, they'll at least hear the announcement at the beginning. So uh, we, we've had a suggestion coming from someone that they thought it would be a good idea. And we would agree that this might be a fun thing to try if people have questions that they have theologically or personally or just trying to figure out, like, how do I live this out in the Christian life? Really, any question. Um, Nothing would be off limits. Question and answer that we might dedicate one episode to question and answer. Or perhaps we would just chip away at a few each time. So... All that to say, if you have any questions that you would like to ask Jim, and I will be happy to facilitate and let him answer all of them, <laughs> maybe I'll jump in some too. But if you have any questions that you'd like to ask us, no matter how hard or difficult, um, or even for that matter how personal, we would be happy to address them. So if you're interested in doing that, you can send your questions to church at freemontefree.org, or you can send them my way or Jim's way via email, or you can you can find us on Sunday morning and tell us that you'd like us to act think about this question. However you want to get a hold of us, if you want to call the church phone, that's okay too. Like if you just want to send us an anonymous letter in the mail, that's all right. Um, whatever you want to do, we would love to try to address your questions. And if we don't get any, then we'll know that this was not a, as good idea as we thought. Um, but we, we would love to just take an episode, and do that. So all that to say, um, if you have any questions that you've been wondering about or or things you're trying to practically live out, not that Jim and I have all the answers, but we would do our best just to think through it and dialogue with it. So before we get to Acts twelve, anything you want to say about that, Jim?
1: Well, I am a very seasoned. I want to ask the pastor, guy. So I think, it, especially if anyone has any dinosaur questions, I think we'll we'll be able to handle anything that comes our way.
0: The percentage of questions that come up about dinosaurs that I want to ask the pastor night is astounding. It so, is pretty high. Uh, I think. I still don't know that I'd be necessarily ready to answer them, but I'll be happy to pass them along to you. All right. Um, and for that matter, if you have any other questions, sometimes the wanted questions also tend to lean towards, How old are you? Right. Um, and my favorite way to answer that is, Tell me how old you think I am. And I've, I've ranged anywhere from about 15 to 80. So that's, that's always humbling, especially when you get the 80 year old remarks. Anyway, all that to say, let's get to Acts 12. Let's talk about Acts 12 1 to 19. James is killed. Peter's in prison. Peter's rescued from prison. And then at the end of the passage, we have soldiers being killed by Herod. It's a passage that covers a wide variety of things. I personally really enjoyed studying this passage last week, but Jim, I'm curious for you, as you've been thinking about the passage over the last 24 hours or so, what are some of the things that stuck out to you the most?
1: Yeah, I think the thing that just sticks out to me the most is just how these two stories are right next to each other, right? Where you have two very similar things happen. James is arrested. Peter is arrested but we have two very different results, right? James is killed. Peter escapes. Um, And to see how both of these things are side by side and to see how God is reigning and ruling and working in both of those situations, right? Wasn't like Peter would did everything right. And James did something wrong. Um, Or James was being punished and God liked Peter better than James, you know, none of that is going on here, but I think it does remind us of the fact that, you know what, God is sovereign and all the things that take place in the lives of his people. And that everything is ultimately good that takes place in the life of the believers too. I mean, really James didn't lose, right? I mean, he went to go be with Jesus. That's a win. Um, but to see that God works and moves in both of these two very diverse stories is something that just really, stands out to me and I think informs suffering for us as well. I think, which is how does that apply to us? I think it informs us in our suffering too.
0: Yeah. I know you've been working through Job on Sunday mornings in SBS, and it's always been amazing to me how at the very beginning we are kind of given the behind the curtain scene of what God's up to. Right. But God never really takes the time to explain that to Job. Um, instead in the last four chapters plus he just reminds him who he is. And so, even in this passage, you know, I don't think we have any hint here that the church was clued in as to why James died and Peter lived. Right? They're they're never told. Um, right. It's it's a mystery of God's providence why He thought it would, James would be okay to die and Peter to live. I do think it's helpful though, like to read this a couple thousand years later and realize Peter still
1: died, and and, and his oh, well, legend has it that he was martyred. Church history. Yeah crucified up down he right. was martyred as well yeah, yeah right
0: so i guess i guess my point in saying that is like when you put things in the scope of eternity in the long arc of history i, I think sometimes and I, and listen i i get it like um even as we've dealt with my son's health issues and thought about what that could mean for his longevity of life and it is sad to think about people being taken early. Um, yeah. There's no question about that. And there, there's something grievous about it, that we live in a broken world where a person would die younger than they should. Um, but the reality is, like, we're all headed towards death. And whether we're rescued momentarily, in the case of Peter, or we're taken suddenly, in the case of James, the reality is this is where we're all headed anyway. Hmm. And so, I, I you know, I, I think it's actually helpful to be a couple thousand years removed from... Peter and James' story and realize, yeah, James may not have lived as long, but they both still died. And, and the thing that was their hope was not that they would be rescued from prison or rescued from execution, but that they trusted in Christ. And because of that, the future glory of being with Christ awaited. Um, you know, at, at last night we were talking Gospel Community Group. I think it was Spurgeon who said the best thing that can happen to a Christian is that they would die. Um, hmm. and, and another time I, you know, I don't know how much of these are just quotes that are attributed to Spurgeon, but he didn't really say, but another one that I've heard Spurgeon be attributed as saying, he said, um, cheer up today could be your last day on earth if you're Christian. Right. And right, I it, think
1: I heard Spurgeon say something like, uh, death is truly waking up yeah, because you're waking up for the first time.
0: Yeah. So again, like, I think, I, I think we, we just have to come to grips with the reality that yeah, God's God's providence is mysterious. Why, why, does, why, do, why do some get taken earlier than others? And, and I think the honest truth in this passage is we don't know. Like, why is it that Peter got rescued and James had to die? We don't know. But that's where I think we have to lean on the character of God as displayed at the cross. The power of God is displayed in an empty tomb. The wisdom of God is displayed over the years, and trust that He knows what He's doing. And you know, I'm I'm fairly confident I've shared this before in the podcast, but I think a lot about the end of, of John twenty one, because I, I think there's a real temptation, I don't know if that's the right word, but there's a real tendency, maybe it's a tendency and a temptation, to want to compare our situation to others and wonder, like, well, why why do I have to go through this hardship when they don't? Um and so I think a lot about John twenty one. Um, I'll just read some of it here, starting verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So the context here is that Jesus had just told Peter basically that he's going to suffer and die someday. And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So I think that's so helpful just to, to think Jesus' perspective, like Peter's wondering, well, what about him? Like, yeah, I, I'm going to die early. Apparently, that seems to be how he's taking what Jesus told him right before that in John chapter 21. He says, well, what about John? What, what are you going to do with him? And and Jesus' response, I, I think, is so helpful. He says, um, if it's my will that he remains, till so I come. What is that to you? You follow me. And so... You know, I think getting into the comparison game of, you know, why do I have to go through this? Or why does this happen to me? Or why did they get this and I don't? Like, which is really easy to do. Um, I, I know I, I can do that. I can compare myself to others and think, well, why, why, why can't I do this? Like, why, why do I have to go through this? Mm-hmm. But that's just such an unhelpful way to live when you, when, when you realize that God is the one who's orchestrating all things. And w- w- what's it to us if he wants to do something differently with someone else? The, the goal for us is just to follow Jesus and to be with him one day in glory. And so I I think that ties into Acts 12 in that, you know, it it would have been easy for James's relatives to say, well, why did you do that to James? Like, why did you let him die? And and Jesus responds to that, I would say, well, what's that to you if this is my plan for him? You follow me. That's the goal. And so I think there is something helpful here in just embracing the mystery of God's providence that he never tells us why James is killed. In fact, really, it only gets one verse attention, right? That it kind of drops out of nowhere whereas Stephen's martyrdom took up you know a chapter and a half at least like james the first of the 12 to die really gets one verse it feels like kind of an unceremonious ending hmm. but the the point is god's god's plan is marching on here right and and so we just have to embrace the mystery of god's providence sometimes hmm. yeah that's good anything else to out to next 12
1: yeah, you know, just looking at, uh, you know, s- switching over from, from James to Peter, I mean, I don't know if you ever feel like this. I mean, I look at what, what was going on with Peter, and we're going to see this a lot more because there's a lot of suffering that's coming in the book of Acts, right? Like you look at, you know, Peter's in a pretty dire strait, right, in verse 4, right? Right. They seized him, put him in prison, delivered him over to four squad of soldiers. I don't know how many that is, but it sounds 16 like 16
0: total. Four 16. squads of four, Right.
1: So you have sixteen soldiers Most likely. guarding one dude with no military
0: I mean not all at one time they're rotating through, but yeah.
1: Might or anything like that. And um so and he's arrested because you know, Herod sees that it pleased the Jews that they killed James. So you think this is what's gonna happen to Peter, right? Like his death is imminent. I mean it's coming, right? Right. You at least read into that. And I just, I don't know, whenever I read passages like this and and we'll probably discuss this again when we move on to Acts, like that's real suffering. You right. know, like that's real suffering. And there's a lot, of, like, like when I read passages like that and I think that, okay, you know, what I used to think was suffering in my own life, it has not, it doesn't, like, doesn't compare to this, right? right. Like I am not arrested threat of death um and so i i don't know sometimes i'd love to like kind of hear your perspective on this there are times that i wrestle with like the guilt of well i think i'm suffering i'm putting that in air quotes Mm. but it's nothing compared to this but yet i don't want to like I don't want to trivialize my suffering that I do experience because I do feel like it is suffering, but yet I'm also thinking like, but this does give me perspective at the same time. So I guess I'm trying to figure out this balance of how do I let this inform my own suffering without belittling it too much and feeling guilty because I think I whine too much about suffering that's more insignificant than this suffering. Does all that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a
0: really good question. The reason why I think it's a good question in part is um, I, I think it's really hard. <laughs> like, I'll just give an example from my own life. Like, I, I hear a lot of people say things like, you know, they're they're going through some struggle and some thing, and they'll say, well, yeah, but it's not as hard as what you're going through with Dawson, right? Which, I, like, I appreciate what the person is trying to say, and I, I know they have good intentions, and but at the same time, like, what I try to remind people is, yeah, but that that you know, my suffering may be different than yours. But the reality is, like, we all experience the brokenness of living in this fallen world, and it's okay for us to lament that, even if it feels small compared to other people. Because um, I've noticed sometimes in discipleship groups, and, and Tanya would say this too, that, that sometimes people feel bad just admitting what they're struggling with, or the things that feel like suffering to them, because in comparison to others, it feels like their suffering is not as significant. But... The reality is there will always be someone suffering worse than us and I, I could i could you know when when someone says that to me about oh it's not as hard as what you're going through with dawson the truth is i could say that about a lot of other people like well what we're going through is not as hard as what a lot of other people have gone through like but i i don't think i don't think that's helpful necessarily to compare our suffering to others like right i think i think it's okay for us to lament like yeah this this is hard like and, and maybe, maybe, like, in comparison to others, we, we, someone would say objectively, well, yeah, that's not as hard as what someone else is going through. Well, fair enough. Like, that's, that's true. Like, what Peter's going through here is probably harder than what most of us go through. But that doesn't mean that the suffering that we're going through is not significant. Even if someone else would say, well, it's not as bad as the other person, right? Like, and I, I think the danger in doing that is that, A, you, you become unsympathetic to people who are, quote, unquote, suffering less than you um you think well come on toughen up like if you were going through what i would go through like y- you would understand what real suffering is right. that that is such a unhelpful way of living right um, i mean it makes you a bitter person um to or it makes you an arrogant person to think oh, well i've gone through that like the reality is god gives us often beyond what we can handle but he know he's not going to tempt us beyond what we can bear in the sense that like our faith, if we're genuine Christian, our faith is going to be turned away. So he he puts each of us, like he has a design for each of us personally that we just have to say, yeah, like our suffering may not look the same, but we all experience the pain of living in a broken world. And so I, I think the the danger for the person who's going through suffering that they perceive to be greater than someone who's less is they can start to become arrogant and look down on other people's suffering as if it's not a big deal when it still is. Um, or on the other hand, I think you can look at people who are suffering more than you and you can minimize your own suffering to the point that you don't actually lament or grieve it. And in the way you just bottle it up and you're just like, why does he need to deal with it? Because it's not that hard. When in reality, like, yeah, it is hard. Like, it's okay to lament that. Like, and, and yeah, your, your issue, like in comparison to others, some might say is not as hard. It doesn't matter. It's still hard for you. And so I, I've thought a lot about this issue just because A, I've seen it happen in discipleship groups, and B, people say things like that to me a lot with Dawson. And I, I just, I, I think we just have to be honest in saying we all live in a broken world. And just because we haven't been chained between two soldiers waiting for execution doesn't mean we haven't experienced the difficulty of this broken world.
1: Right. So do you think, do you think this passage can do both things in us? Can it be something that says, you know, put your suffering in perspective and at the same time, not minimize your suffering does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I would say that the suffering that we always have to put in perspective of is Christ taking the eternal wrath of God on the cross, right? Like, right. Even, even, like, because nothing is ever going to top that, right? Nothing right. will ever top that. Correct. And so, even Peter, we'd have to say, well, he got off pretty easy compared to what Jesus went through. So, sure. like, I think as long as we put our suffering in that context to say, what we really deserve here is to suffer the eternal wrath of God, and Jesus already did that for us, therefore all suffering, like we don't have as much leg to complain as we think we do, given that Jesus did that for us, then I think that is a helpful perspective adjuster. Um, So I I wouldn't run to the example of Peter, I would run to the example of Christ suffering the eternal wrath of God on the cross. Now I think it's okay, there is something about looking at this and saying... We are kind of wimpy sometimes, like that we 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 think that, oh, you know, our neighbor just gave us kind of a sidewise look when we talked about Jesus. Maybe we should stop talking about Jesus when in reality, like Peter's going to his death because he's talking about Christ. So there should right. be something challenging about it, like, and maybe that's what you're getting at. I'm not sure, right, but right. I, I think it's okay to be challenged by this and say, man, we're kind of wimpy in comparison. like let's 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 be a little bit more bold and courageous. I think that's appropriate. But I I don't think what we should do is say, well, that means, therefore, that our suffering is just not real, Um, or because it's not directly related to our faith, that it's not as painful. When, you know, someone getting a disease, even though it may not be directly related to their faith, that's still painful, too. And I don't mean physically, but just emotionally, right? And so, yeah, I, I think there is, it's okay to be challenged by the example here. And I would say, if something about this doesn't challenge us, then we're probably missing part of the point, too. Right. But I, I don't think we should run to the point of saying, well, all other suffering this lesser, therefore it doesn't matter, because I wouldn't agree with that statement.
1: Right. So how about for you? What uh what spoke to you in this passage? What was encouraging for you?
0: Well, I, I think the what we've already talked about with James and Peter would be part of it. I mean the other part that I'm just more convicted of, the more we read through Acts and the more I think about my own life, is just their connection and their commitment to prayer. Right. They, you know, I, I do. I, I appreciate that there's a little bit of an honesty here in the passage that that they they prayed, but yet there there is there is kind of a realism that like, did they really expect that Peter was going to be released from prison? Because when he shows up, they're like, nah, that's not him. now. Right. <laughs> to be fair, we don't know. We don't know exactly what they were praying for. Perhaps they were praying that Peter would just suffer well, or you know, maybe they are praying that Peter would be able to witness to the guards. We're, we're just told that they were praying for Peter, um, but nevertheless, like I, I think of Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians three, that God can do more than we ask or imagine. You know, whatever it is that they're praying, whether they're praying for his release or for him to be a faithful witness, or maybe they're just praying for him to sleep well, in which case their prayers are answered for that too, right? Like, whatever they are praying, God did above and beyond what they were expecting. I think we can say that based upon their reaction when Rhoda doesn't open the door and she comes and tells him, Peter's out there and like, nah, you're crazy. Or it's his angel, right? Like, so, so clearly God did something beyond what they expected. And I do appreciate that realism here, that even the early church, that we wouldn't say, oh, they were perfect in their faith. Like, they really believed God would answer every prayer they ever answered and to do it beyond their imagination. They they didn't believe it here. But it is clear that they believed and valued prayer. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of, do we believe God is as big as we say He is? Hmm. Like, the question I posed last night with our gospel community group is, if we really believed that God could do the things that are described here in Acts 12. And I know we would all theoretically say we believe that, but if we really believe that this is the God we serve, that this this God who's so great and mighty, who can release Peter from prison using an angel to get by all these trained soldiers, if we really believe God was that powerful, how would we live differently on a daily basis? I, I mean, I think the first place to start is that well, I, we would sure pray a lot more. That yeah. would be one place. There, I mean, I think there's other answers to that question too, but... I, I don't know, I've just been thinking a lot this week that maybe our view of God is just too small, and that's why we don't pray as much as we should.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are dedicated, right? That's what, in verse 5, it talks about earnest prayer for him was made. I mean, that seems like an intensity of of prayer taking place, and the mere fact that it was, what, it was the middle of the night, right? Seems like it. That they were gathered together and they were praying. Um, And so you get this idea that you know they were not just passively praying or casually praying, they were committed and doing it corporately, right? There is a corporate element of prayer taking place that they are gathered at, uh, you know, Mary, um, house, the mother of John Mark. Um, and so you get this sense that they're, you know, that this is something that they do corporately. Um, which I think is an encouraging and instructing thing for us to do is that the idea that, um, yes, prayer is, obviously made for the individual and in and is a gift for the individual to be able to do you know in their own time um but yet there is also a call here looks like that this earnest prayer is something that is done um corporately that's done together that uh that i think is powerful right when the body of christ comes together with the purpose to pray i think is pretty powerful
0: absolutely so here's a question for you. I, I could ask the question, why do we struggle to pray? I think that's, you know, we could answer that by saying, well, you know, we we struggle to believe a spiritual realm we can't see or we're self-reliant or, you know, all these things we think we do on our own. But here's a specific question I want to ask. And I've been thinking about this in light of just some of the things I've heard from pastors in Ukraine the last couple of weeks mm. and their commitment to prayer um, and even maybe experiences I've had when I've been overseas and seen churches in other areas or met, met believers from other countries, why do you think the American church struggles to pray and compare, like, and maybe I'm wrong here, but my, my experience, so I'm basing this on experience, then, so I'm not saying this is infallible, Like, I could be wrong, my experience is that the American church struggles to pray way more than other churches around the world in different places. Certainly I would get that perception from what I've heard from people who have been on mission trips to Ukraine and even from what I've seen the last couple of weeks. But I think that would be true for a lot of other areas of the world, too, in comparison. Again, this is just my experience. I'm not saying it's like, you know, I don't have you know years and years of research to say the American church definitely struggles. But my perception is they do. So my question is not like the general question, why do people struggle to pray? I think we maybe covered that ground before. Why why does the American church struggle to pray so much more than other churches and other locations around the world?
1: So I think my answer is going to be because we don't see the urgency of the need. Right. Okay. I mean, I think about like, so when I just think back in my own life, like I remember after nine 11, you know, we had a prayer meeting at the church. We had lots of people come and pray. You know, I think about like, you know, when we had a prayer meeting here at the church for you guys, when Dawson was first sick, we had a turnout of people to come and pray. Sure. You know, that, you know, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, what was Pastor Yuri from the Ukraine talking about they're praying twice a day. Um, I'm guessing that's because they see the urgency of the need to pray. Um, and so I think when we have events, when we have these big, significant things happen, all of a sudden we feel this urgency, this need to pray because we realize something is now bigger than what we can handle. It's outside of our control and our ability and that leads to the urgency. And I think there's a lot of times that we just don't see the urgency, um, because life's pretty good. Um, and, and we don't see that there is always like a spiritual urgency. I mean, I'll just give a personal example. I pray more for my kids. Uh, when I see that there's issues and struggles going on. Right. Yeah. And then when things are going pretty smooth in the house, I don't pray for the kids as much, you know? Um, and so there, it always has to do with, I think with our need and seeing, and seeing the urgency of the need. And I think that's reflected in prayer.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a difference between prayer being your only option and prayer being an option. And I think for a lot of believers around the world, they realize like, this is the only option we have. And, and I would just second what you said experientially that the times where I pray the most is when I realize there's really nothing else to do. Um, you know, there, certainly the times I think where I've most fervently cried out for prayers is in hospital situations with my son when it seems like there's no answer. And I, I, there's literally nowhere else to go. We can't call another doctor in those moments and say, why don't you come look at him? Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, there's nowhere else to go. And so, what do I do? I pray. I think for believers around the world, they're more aware that there is no other option more frequently than we are. Would be my perception. I think for us, let me just make it more personal. I think for me, prayer is often an option, Mm -hmm. but I have other options, right? I can call this person, or I can do this, or I can, you know, I have these ideas of things I can do. Like, but seldom, again, I'm just confessing this. Like seldom do I feel like prayer is the only option here, Um, and I think because of that it produces well so i, I think uh, this is what i would say i think there's two problems like one we have an inflated view of self that we have more resources or that we think we have more resources than we actually do as if we can really do anything like i mean every good and perfect gift is from above and i, I i'm not sure that we always believe that i think sometimes we think well most perfect gifts are from above but sometimes it's just done by our own hard work and ingenuity um so that that's one problem then the other problem is i think our view of God and our view of the spiritual world is so diminished that we, like when, when Ephesians talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this world. I'm not sure how many of us actually believe that. Um,
1: believe it that I would say, believe it all the time. Like there's moments sure. where we feel that it's intense. And then when that intensity goes away, I think we feel like that battle has. uh Yeah dissipated that it's gotten smaller, right? When yeah, the reality is it probably hasn't.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's that's probably true. Um I, I think that I guess my my point is is like the spiritual realm of life, I think we discount. Um that because we can't see it, like and and that's you know, there there are other cultures around the world that are more spiritually oriented, meaning that they believe that there are dark spirits and good spirits. And and some of that's unhealthy, like to the point that they're they're not thinking about it biblically. So I'm not saying that's always good, but I am saying like we tend to, like, I, I don't know if it's just a function of we live in the post-Enlightenment world where everything's about reason, and you know, or if we live in a postmodern world where there is no such thing as absolute truth. But we, we just have a hard time believing there is a spiritual realm and that there's an invisible battle that's going on around us. And therefore we should pray because the only weapons we have to demolish those types of strongholds are the weapons of prayer or is the weapon of prayer and the weapon of the Word of God. So, I think some of it is that we're just naturally skeptical skeptical about the spiritual world, too. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to answer this question for myself. Like, why don't I value prayer as much? And I think, it, if I'm honest, my first answer is I'm probably just too self-reliant. Like, and that, I think that is kind of part and parcel of who we are as Americans, is that we are self-dependent people. And I'm not saying everyone's like that, of course, but I think in general, that's kind of the perception that people would have of us. And it's probably true that we rely on ourselves too much rather than thinking, hey, we can't do this. We need to pray.
1: Right, right, right. And because life is pretty easy here, you know, we don't see the need. You know, I hear, I've heard the legend of, you know, Christians in in China say, please don't stop praying for the persecution to end for us because this is what is causing the church to grow here. And this has been good for us. Like they see the persecution of the church in China is good for them. And so they're actually praying that it wouldn't be removed because they want to see the church continue to flourish and grow and spread. Um, which is, I don't know if you've heard those type of things before. I
0: mean, it's that's a hard prayer if that's what they're praying.
1: Right. Right. And, and you know, and I remember, I remember listening to, uh, uh, when, uh, pastor uh matt chandler had had a brain tumor right Mm -hmm. and i was watching a series of of like video blogs when he was going through all that and he said that you know i've met other cancer people that you know their time with the lord was so sweet because they were depending on him so much during their cancer treatment that when the cancer went away they were almost they were like sad because they're intensity of their relationship with Christ had dropped to the point they were almost like, I almost wish that this was back so I could have what I had then mm. in my relationship with Christ. And that just shows like what dependence does yeah. um, when it becomes so concrete, mm-hmm. when, the, when the dependence becomes so concrete that it drives us there that when that goes away the intensity lessens. Um, mm. That's challenging to think about too.
0: So, how do you create that urgency if you don't feel it right now, or how do you how do you how do you get to a place where you prayer feels that urgent to you if that's something that you're struggling to do
1: right? you know there have been times that just for me personally when I've been praying i'll I'll pray that and say God, I recognize that my need in my season of peace is just as big as my need in the season of hardship, so help me recognize that. Need, help me recognize my dependency that I am I am equally dependent in the trial and in the suffering as in the, the peaceful times as well. And so that's a prayer that I will pray fairly regularly to say, Hey, give me eyes to see that my need never changes. So I mean that's one of the things that I will do.
0: now when you're saying I was thinking of Philippians four, where Paul says, Not that I'm speaking being need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's really interesting about that is that he's not just talking about times where he's down and low. He's, he says, I've learned to be content in abundance and need. And so, and, and Christ being the one who strengthens him, that verse is about contentment in all circumstances, both in times of difficulty and in times of plenty. Right. And actually, I think we tend to focus more on the times of difficulty than we do the times of plenty. The times of plenty in some ways are more challenging because we don't feel that urgency so i you know again, I would just say it goes back to what we talked about regularly like are are we in the Word of God enough, and are we inundating ourselves with the truths of God's word enough that we see the urgency even if it doesn't feel urgent um, you know i think if if we're just looking at our circumstances and and looking at the world around us and not looking to the word of God, then over time we will grow complacent. But we have to remind ourselves of what is true, and we have to get the input of God's word so we remember how urgent the situation is. Yeah. All right. That's all I've got for this week. Anything else you want?
1: You know, I like Rhoda. Yeah? She's quite a character, right? She's so excited she leaves him at the door. Like, there's not a lot of comedy in Scripture. I think that's a little bit of a comedic moment right there.
0: Yeah, I mean, that one's up there with, uh, do we think it's Mark who flees away naked in Mark 14? I think right, that's a right, weird part of the story, too. Right. So there, there's some, there's some odd. like I, I do like when scripture just throws in, I, I think usually it's just remind us these are accurate details. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Here's what happened. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Wrote it. That is a pretty and, comical you scene. You know, before. the
1: Peter's still there knocking like, hello, right. I'm yeah. still standing out here. Yeah, open soldiers don't see me. Yeah. Come open up and let me in.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a good scene. I I I do. Someone pointed out last night. It is kind of odd that, like, if if you were Peter, like this speaks to how much he must have valued the church, right? Because if you're Peter and you just escaped from prison, you're certain death. You like most of us would think we better get out of town as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Like the last thing you would do is go to the place where they would be looking for you first, which is the church, right? Like where the church is gathered. But that's what he does. Like, and that's I think that speaks to how much he valued the church that he was willing to risk life and limb to do that. And, it, and then hmm. the fact that he ends up standing out there longer knocking does add a humorous element right. to it. And then he has to tell them to be quiet with his hands. Like, guys, right.
1: calm down. Right. Let me right. tell you the story. But he does end up getting out of town, doesn't he? Then he went down from yeah, Judea no, to Caesarea. No one really knows where he, there.
0: Well, I think that's that's Herod. I think the end of the verse is talking about Oh, Herod. that's
1: Herod? That's not talking about Peter?
0: I would take that to be talking about that's Herod. That
1: who that he is there?
0: That's who I think that he is. But... I could be wrong, but that's how I would take that. I I still think that where where Peter goes, no one really knows. That we don't really know where Peter ends up. I mean, I think in verse 17, then he departed and went to another place. Like, it doesn't even say where he went. Oh, there we go. He kind of disappears off the map after that point. Right. Which is interesting. I mean, and kind of realistic of how humans act. It's not like Peter is just like waiting at the door for them to come re-arrest him. Like, he did what normal people do. He kind of went and hid. Right. And there's right. there's nothing wrong with that. There's no hidden scripture. That's a bad thing. Right, right. All right. Speaking of Herod, Herod is going to play a prominent role. And I, I hate to give a spoiler warning, but i was just going to let you know it does not end well for him in the next section, and and in a very memorable way. So um, obviously, you can read ahead if you want to find out how Herod how it ends for Herod. But it is a memorable ending for Herod. And I love how the verse ends or how the passage ends. It's it's, it's a really encouraging ending to it. So. Uh, Just just a few verses next week, 20 through 25, a little bit shorter section before we get in some really long sections in the chapters coming up, Um, but a great passage to come. Just a reminder too, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer in a future podcast, feel free to shoot them our way. Until then, keep looking to the Word of God. Keep looking up.